You can have a seat. So, I, I think that I'm a little more nervous this morning even than the sex talk. Because I, I sat in my office. Why am I crying? I'm not Tim. Because <clears throat> um, when we sing that song, I mean, we say over and over again, I believe, I believe, I believe about these things. But Jesus changed the world with 12 men. There's like a hundred people sitting in this room. That should be all I have to say. Because I sat in my office before this, and this doesn't usually happen because I'm used to being up here, so I don't usually get that nervous. But I was like shaking and had to start praying. So I just told my wife this, and she says, maybe that was the Holy Spirit. Okay, maybe. But I had to tell Satan and his demons to leave me alone because I belong to Jesus Christ. And so, it's the word of God should be powerful enough for us in this room to take it and change not just Urbandale, but change the trajectory of our culture and of our world, right? So, if, if I shared everything that I could on the, the topic this morning, we'd be here till three o'clock probably, so I won't do that, but we do have a lot of just work to do, and I... Um, just prayed a lot about this this morning and how it has changed my life and just prayed heavily for what God wanted me to say this morning because it's just not, I mean, I have nothing to say, but God does and his word does and it should move us to action. Like it really should move us to action. So we just need to pray and while I pray, you pray and beg God. Because really, I mean, you, if you ask Kyle, if you ask Tim, if you ask Alan, if you ask Mark, if you ask any of our preachers, sometimes it does get really tiring coming up here week after week after week. And we see fruit from speaking. But if what the word of God says is true... That it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Like, miracles should be happening all the time. I'm not just talking about people getting healed from physical things. I'm talking about lives should be changed on a regular basis because this is a room full of people with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. Like, the stuff that we read about in Scripture, we should see the power of God moving in ways that we could not even imagine. And so as I pray, I want you to pray also, but this is like a begging God to unleash His Spirit in this church. Okay, Because I know there's enough people in this room today that have been either a part of Creekside or Cornerstone. Or I mean Cornerstone, Creekside, or Olivet before that. That have been this close to leaving this church. Just because you know deep down inside there is more. There's more. And this is not a guilt trip. I didn't write any of this down because I'm feeling it heavy. How, what, 
can Nick Reed do in the power of the Spirit of God? And I can tell you, it's a lot more than I'm doing. And so we need to beg God to do something in our hearts that would move us beyond the walls of this building. To change the lives of the world around us. Because honestly, Norb sends us the numbers every week, and I'm not all about numbers. I I don't like being all about numbers. But I am about numerous people getting saved. And if our church is out there bringing the gospel to the streets and people are getting saved, where are we sending them to be discipled? Are we sending them to hope? Because they can go and hear a great message and connect with a ton of people? I'm not saying that's a bad church. But if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, these chairs, the empty ones, are our mission. The only way to make more disciples is to see people start by coming to Jesus. So we need to, we need to start by just saying, I need to start by saying, God, I am sorry. God. I am I am scared and a sissy most of the time. But God, I want to acknowledge to you this morning that that should never stop the Holy Spirit from working in me. God, because you promised us That you did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And if that is the spirit that is in everyone in this room that has claimed the name of Jesus for salvation, God, then we beg you to unleash your spirit in our lives. Do not let us shy away from opportunities that you give. Do not let us shy away from the Jesus part of our lives, God. But we let it spill out. We think too much about strategy. We think too much what people will be offended by or not offended by. We think way too much, God, rather than allowing your spirit to work in such powerful ways in our lives that we're actually seeing the world around us change. God, do not let us have peace in our hearts until you've convicted us enough to get outside the walls of these church, this church and bring the gospel to the streets, to reach our neighbors, to reach our coworkers, to do things that we never thought were in our character to do because the spirit of the almighty living God because of Jesus Christ lives inside of us. I am so tired of doing church. God, we need and we want to be the church. So help us. In Jesus' name and in that powerful name we pray. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now we have even more work to do because of all that. So let's start in verse 17, and I'm going to read. And as he, this is Jesus, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. And honor your father and mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all these... And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him 
and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away very sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So the last two weeks for Heather and I, it has been, and I know for other people in this church too because we've been texting some people about this, but just been hugely convicted of some things in the way that we are living our lives and the cowardice that I feel in my own life when it comes to reaching the people around me. Because after what we've been convicted of the last two weeks, as I look at my own life, you could look up coward in the dictionary and find a picture of me. I'm serious. So I'm going to share a few thoughts with you that have led us to this, and they're hugely encouraging to Heather and I, but they're also really heavy thoughts. And so one thing I find is that as I pray and the way that God answers my prayers is he either says no or he says yes, both answers are for my good, right? Or the best for me. And I find that when he says yes, after he says yes, in the way that he says yes, when he absolutely blows my mind, I come out of that situation realizing, man, my, my prayer life, I don't expect or believe God can do enough. Like my prayer life is weak because God just blew my prayer out of the water by answering it above and beyond. But my prayer was like really weak. Like I asked him for this little thing and he said, Nick, I am so much more powerful than that. A year and a half ago, we moved to Ankeny and um, we had been praying for a house that we could have a lot of people over, a table that we could fit a lot of people around and just uh, be more hospitable, right? And so we had this little house in Grimes. We moved to this house in Ankeny and God gave us that house, but God answered so much more than just the house because our favorite thing about where we live now is the neighborhood. He gave us just, I mean, a gazillion kids on our neighbor, on our block and a ton of young families that we can connect with. And so God answered my prayer way, our prayer, way above and beyond what we asked. I'm going to come back to that. But recently, we were reintroduced, kind of like Kyle talked about the Francis Chan book that um, he wrote about marriage. Heather and I were reintroduced um, after Simon posted that book on Facebook. Um, I posted it to Kyle and then Heather calls me, not like, I don't know, it's probably within a 10-minute span, but she calls me and says, why have you not bought me this book yet? And so she got that book later that day. <clears throat> um, and so we got reintroduced to him, and four small groups of the seven at Creekside are doing Francis Chan studies right now, okay? And I pray that I don't fall into my tendency to idolize people like I've talked about before. But the reason that we love what Francis teaches is because I think of all the people that I've heard preach this book, 
His perspective on how to live life and the perspective of living life for Jesus is most accurate to this book. He teaches all about having an eternal perspective. And that when we, we are saved by grace through Jesus, right? There's nothing that we could ever do to earn our salvation because it was a free gift from God. But the Bible is so clear what it means and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. When we claim the name Jesus for eternal life, there should be life change in the way that we act. I got some volunteers that are going to help me with something. And this was not my genius idea. I stole it from Francis. And so this will help us to get a view of what it looks like to live with an eternal perspective. So, we have this rope. Can everybody see this rope? Pull it tight. Everybody see that? Okay. So, pretend that right here, where Aaron is standing, is the beginning of your life. Okay? Right here, where this bag is, is death. That's the end of your life on earth. So this period of time is your life on earth. Everything that way, and pretend that Brandon's not standing there, but this rope just keeps going and going and going and going and going and never, ever, ever ends. That's eternity, right? Most Christians, most people on the planet live their life from birth to about right here, preparing for from right here to right here. Get that? Like, I want to live secure with the money that I have. I want to retire well. I want to say at this point, well done, and live all the rest of this just in peace and rest and comfort. And so I work really hard right here. I mean, that's, that's a good life lived, right? I work really hard so that the last part of my life can be good and abundant on earth. Most people that live that way don't give any thought to all of that. And I'm willing to bet that on a daily basis, most of the people in this room, including myself, don't give any thought to that. But what if, what would it look like if every single one of us started living from here to here Preparing for everything on that side. Thanks, guys. Put it down. What would that look like to have an eternal perspective? Remember, we talked about what's in a name a few weeks ago. And if we claim the name of Jesus, it makes absolutely no sense for us to go and live contrary to what he taught in Scripture. That he calls us to a certain way of life. Especially in America, it's really easy to lose sight of God to wealth and comfort and ease in life. And this is not to say that everyone has ease in life in America, because there's plenty of poor people in America. There's plenty of people that don't have it easy. But the point I want us to get is to not trust in things on earth for our salvation and for our comfort, but to have an eternal perspective. What does it look like to put God first in our life? Not just, number one, God. Number two, church. Family, ministry, boom, 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 boom. No. It should be God, huge gap, everything else. I don't care what order you put everything else in. Because if your life looks like this, God is first and then everything else just stacks right behind it, that's not what God asked of us. Get too intense. That's not what God asked of us. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is not, and listen, I am not yelling at you. I am saying this because I'm preaching it to myself, because I've been just stabbed to the heart with the power of what God can do in our lives. And so I'm preaching this to myself first. So hold me accountable to it, please. But that verse, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you, is not a plea to seek God so that your food, clothing, and provision in life will be, and your living will be provided for you. No. 
It is a plea to not even worry about that stuff. It's a plea to not even give a thought to that stuff in life. This is amazing to me. But in the year 2006, Americans spent $454 billion on Christmas. Okay, that should have gotten a reaction. That is one million seconds or 11 days. Okay? If I was to count in seconds for the next 11 days, I'd get to a million. Okay? One billion seconds is 32 years. Okay? Americans spent $454 billion on Christmas. That is $903 per American family if it was averaged out. But we know there is a huge percentage of families in America that could never afford that. So there is a, a percentage of people in America that in 2006 spent well over $1,000 on Christmas in one season for their family. And I understand buying one big thing for once in a while, right? But I'm telling you in this church, we should not ever be spending that much money on Christmas, okay? Just get that. If you spend that much money on Christmas, I'm coming to your house. If I ever spend that much money on Christmas, egg my house, slash my tire, do something, okay? We've talked about the fact that idols are anything that we place in a position to distract us from our relationship with God. I want to take it even further and say an idol is anything that keeps us from giving 100% of all the glory, of all of our efforts, of all of our time, of all of our energy to God. Luke 14, 25, if anyone comes to me, this is Jesus talking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. It doesn't say you'll have a hard time being my disciple. No. It says you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ, unless that's true about you. Now, is it, is it really saying that we are supposed to hate in the worldly sense of hate? No, because that would be contradictory to everything else Jesus talks about with love and family and the people that we hold dear. But in the list of things that we hold important, God here... Woof, whole span of space and then everything else is here the world should say about me you are a Jesus freak and I don't care right the problem is I do I do care by the way that I live my life I want Jesus to be attractive to everyone here's the thing he won't be He's not going to be attractive to everyone. Okay? The Bible says that the gospel will be foolishness to those who are perishing. We don't know who those people are. So what's our job? It's to tell every single person living and breathing on the planet about the love of Jesus. And how do we do that? We don't speak with our lips and then live differently. And we don't just live and not speak with our lips. We have to do both. Lifestyle evangelism is not enough. And smacking people over the head with Bibles is not enough. It's actually not good either. Okay? But when the world looks at how much I am obsessed with God and my relationship with God and how it's changed my life to live in a different way, they should be able to look at me and say, dude, 
You need to spend more time on your family. You need to spend more time loving these people because you're so much about God that all these relationships, you, you might as well hate those people. When in the reality of the spiritual realm around us, what is happening when I put God up here and all those other relationships down here is that this relationship is so strong that he gives power to all those relationships and they're stronger than they could ever be. But when I have God here, boom, 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 there's less space for God to give power to and these relationships suffer. So unless my life looks like I am so obsessed with God that all of my other relationships in life look like hate, then those relationships are never gonna be as healthy and as strong in Jesus as they could be or as they should be. And so the title, I know you've seen it up there for a while, the title of this message is going to be Staring at the Needle. Because in Mark chapter 10, the passage that we just read, in verse 25 it says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because with wealth... It's much easier to trust in that wealth rather than God. Wealth is not bad. I'm not saying have, having a lot of money is not bad because then I would be telling you don't pursue uh, a career that you enjoy because some careers make a lot of money. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. But wealth's not bad if your heart is in the right place and you use your money as if you really understand that it's all God's anyway. When referring to richness and wealth, we're also referring to things that we depend on for our security and salvation in this life. So it's anything in this life that we value more than God. You see, it is impossible. It is impossible to fit that camel through the eye of that needle. It's impossible. For anyone trusting in anything other than God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible to enter into the kingdom of heaven trusting in yourself to get you there. Or trusting in your good works to get you there. Or trusting in your wealth to get you there. Or trusting in the people around you to get you there. It's impossible. So many churches and professing Christians live their life staring at that needle, trying to figure out a way to take the camel and shove it through the eye. You see what I'm saying? If I spent my whole life staring at that needle, I would never, no matter what universe I'm in, I can't get that camel through the eye of that needle. You see what I'm saying? It would be an absolute, complete, utter waste of my time because it will never happen. It will never happen. So where are you this morning? I can tell you, this week, I, 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 my heart is still just being chipped away at by God on this topic, okay? And so where I was a week ago, and where I am even now this morning, I'm willing to bet that a lot of you are. First, have you really, I mean really, you don't just know about Jesus. You just don't know what he did for you. But have you really put your trust in Jesus to take away your sins? That sounds really simple and elementary for everyone in the room that has been to church for a long time. But I'm serious. Have you really, and on a daily basis, trust that Jesus Christ is the solution to save you from the penalty of your sin? It's another sobering reminder that, listen, Jesus is coming back. The day is coming when every single human being will stand before Jesus. And some people will be judged by Jesus never knowing him. And they will be cast into utter darkness, eternal fire, forever. Do you understand the weight of that? Because I don't, by the way I live my life. And I'm so frustrated with it. 
there's a guy, you know, Penn and Teller. Some of you might know him. But Teller is like, he's an agnostic or atheist. And he said this. I don't believe in God. There is no God. It's just God is not real. But if there was, and if someone thought that they had the answer, if someone thought that they knew the only way to go to eternal life with that God and they didn't tell me, how much would that person have to hate me not to tell me the truth about that? And what does Jesus ask us to do? A new command I give you, love one another. Now he's talking about people inside the church, but when people outside the church look at how we love each other inside the church, they're going to say, nobody loves like that. Nobody lives like that. I want that. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them the truth about how to get, get into heaven? Jesus is coming back. Some people are going to go to hell, but the rest of the people who have trusted in Jesus, I mean a lot of people, the gate is wide and easy to destruction. This is, this is from the Bible. It is narrow and few will enter through it. And this is like, totally, I'm not ever speaking against the grace of God. I'm talking about the fact that the grace of God should lead us to live differently. Maybe you have trusted Jesus, but you're staring intently at the needle, right? That's where I was. That's where I'm still wrestling with that. I want to stop staring at the needle and just walk away from it. This same story in Luke chapter 18 is preceded by a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector praying to God. I want you to listen to this, okay? This is uh, Jesus about to tell this parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself. And, and before I read this, I want you to think about everything about this prayer. Okay? Why, whenever we've read this, why do we think that this is a bad prayer? Okay, just listen. Why do we think it's a bad prayer? Is this a bad prayer in and of itself? Or is it a good prayer? As far as the words go. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus... God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. <clears throat> okay? That in and, of, in and of itself is something that I've prayed before, and I think that it's a good prayer. Because, listen, he said, God, I, he wasn't standing in the middle, like, shouting out, look at me pray. Right? He was standing by himself in the corner, and Really, that's what we should do. Not be, look at me, pray. He says, God, I thank you. Right? Very centered on God. He's giving credit to God that he is living his life the way that he is living. Right? I've prayed these prayers before. Like, God, if you did not save me, I don't even want to imagine what my life would be like. Because I know my thought process sometimes. And if I ever really went there, holy cow, this would not be good. I thank you, God, that you have saved me. It's because of you that I am not living that life. I mean, thank you, God, that you have instilled into me and I am doing these spiritual disciplines and I'm living like this. But then it goes on. So that prayer in is, of in itself is not bad. But then it goes on to say, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the second man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, it's all about your heart. And I can't judge your heart, and the person sitting next to you can't judge your heart, but God can. God sees your heart. God sees everything you think and everything you do. He sees it. So our story with the rich man finds Jesus addressing all of these people that were self-righteous people. That thought that they could do enough good things to earn their way into heaven. Including a man who was rich enough to trust in his riches to somehow find a way into eternal life. Because that is what he was seeking. There's people all over the planet seeking a way to eternal life and they are just deceived as to how to get there. Kyle says it all the time. His favorite line from Purpose Driven Life is the first line of the book. It's not about you. So sitting at the table the other morning, Heather looks at me. We were sitting there reading and she really passionately but with a little regret in her voice said, man... I need to live with an eternal perspective because everything I do throughout my day is somehow centered around me. Everything that, think about that. I mean, think about the last thought. Think about the last action that you did that didn't actually include you in some way. Right? I mean, I can't. Go through a day without everything that I do. I'm going to go talk to this people because these people, but it still involves me in some way because going and talking to that person or serving that person will exalt my status or whatever it is. But in some way, my life always revolves around me. It always comes back to me. But if you look at this story, we're dealing with a guy in verse 19. I mean, in Luke 19, it it calls this guy rich, he's a ruler, and he's a young man. So therefore, he would not have been a a person of rule in the church, because he wasn't old enough, because in that time... People had to be, you had to be a certain age to, to rule in the church. Okay, so he was a guy that had a lot of money, and he had a great socioeconomic status, and everybody probably knew who he was. Okay, somewhere along the line, this man learned the commandments. Because Jesus says to him, listen, it says Jesus loved him. Okay, I think it's because Jesus was like, oh man. It's riches again. Like, I love this man, but what I'm about to tell him is going to just totally change his world. So Jesus loved him and told him one more thing you have to do. Now we know that the gospel of Jesus is all about the fact that Jesus died on the cross and grace, because of grace, salvation is a free gift from God. There is nothing that we can do or there's nothing that we have to do to get it, right? So why does Jesus tell him there's one thing you must do? Because Jesus tested his heart by his actions. One of the first things that I learned from Kyle when I did, I was doing my youth internship and he was the youth pastor is that your, what you value is what you will do. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. I really don't know what that phrase means. I mean, like, in and of itself, it's just a dumb phrase. But what it actually means is if I say that I am a follower of Jesus, I better be living it, right? It better change the way that I live my life. And that's the standard that Jesus sets up. This is how people will know that you are my disciples. Not what comes out of your mouth necessarily, but how you live and then how you back it up. Okay, And for too many of us, those things are not matching up because we're staring at the eye of the needle, trying to shove the camel through it, even though we know the truth that I can't earn God's favor. Jesus did that for me. Somehow, too many people 
feel. Tim, you guys can come back up. But somehow, too many people feel like the abundant life that Jesus offered has to do with the physical side of life. With like, I will be taken care of all the time financially. That I will have the house that I've always dreamed of. That my life will be the shape that I want it to be. But that's not what Jesus means when he talks about the abundant life. The abundant life, he says, I want you to have life and I want you to have it to the full. The life that he's talking about there is in our hearts, is spiritual, because he also promises that this life in Christianity with persecutions will not always be easy. We know that because you have never ever been able to justify when bad, horrible, hurtful things happen in your life, you've never, you know in your heart that you've never been able to explain a loving God would let those things happen to you. But here's the thing, he didn't make them happen to you. Sin is in the world and hard, horrible things happen. But he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. The point is that we can, the abundant life is that I can go through the worst imaginable thing possible on the planet and still live in the peace of an almighty God because of Jesus Christ. So, this last week, on, we, anybody know what Keys for Kids is? Anybody? Okay, so I mentioned this to my mom. I said, Mom, we started reading Keys for Kids with our, with our kids. She's like, oh, I used to read that to you. I'm like, maybe I won't read it to my kids anymore. No, I don't remember that. But now it's an iPad app, so it's so easy to use. It's a passage from the Bible and then a story, okay? And on Monday night, we were with Micaiah, and we were with the, all the kids, but we were reading about how um, Jesus can save, and there's two places that you can go, really, when you die. And for the first time, I mean, he's heard, Jesus died for your sins, you need to believe in him, be saved, and all this stuff. But for the first time, he really came to the realization, like, he was just like, and I don't really know what he was thinking in those moments, but we asked him, Micaiah, where do you think you're going to go when you die? And so we had this conversation with him, and we said, well, how do you, how do you know that you can go to heaven? Uh, I believe in God. Okay, so we went and talked. We, we shared the whole, this is a long story short, shared the whole gospel with him. And through a 45-minute conversation, Micaiah comes to realize, oh, I want that. Like, I want, I mean, I need to tell God I'm sorry, and I know that Jesus can save me. And so through just this long conversation, just watching him go from not understanding it to really understanding it more, I mean, Micaiah goes, and he got saved. And I mean, it was like the best moment for a mom and dad. It was awesome. But then what was even better, because I have this thought that, okay, I know that, like, in God's eyes, Micaiah is now saved and he's going to heaven. But I also know that there's a high possibility, I don't know if it's high, but there's a possibility that Micaiah is going to go on with his life and not think twice about Jesus and just totally run down the wrong road. Right? Because there is a correlation between trusting Jesus and the way Jesus wants to live. The next day... We're sitting, I get home from work, my neighbor is sitting in our house just chatting with Heather, all the kids are outside, and all of a sudden Micaiah busts in and he gets all the juice boxes that we have in our home, right? He grabs all the juice boxes that we have in our house and grabs a whole sheath of uh, saltines and I'm like, Micaiah, what are you doing? And he goes, hey, we're starting a Bible club and I got to give food to him, okay? And so... <laughs> And it was awesome because it was really cold outside and then Micaiah and Judah took it on themselves to be like, hey, we don't, we're not going to do this outside. Come inside. So all of a sudden, we've got like 10 kids in our house from the neighborhood. And the next thing I know, Heather's got this whole chart out 
with putting all their names on it. She's got all these memory verses that she had printed out earlier in the day that she's going to give to these kids. And they start this Bible club. Now, this is something that Heather had been praying, two things, okay? And wouldn't you know that once we start talking about this as a couple, like, my wife actually took it literally. I'm like, okay, if I knew that you were going to take this literally, we wouldn't have these conversations. Just kidding. It's been awesome because she's been praying two things specifically, that she would be able to start a kid's Bible club with the kids in our neighborhood, okay, and start a woman's coffee time that leads to Bible study, right? Well, within the course of two days, my sons had started the Bible club for her, okay, that she had been, okay, because one of them was so excited that Jesus, because in his limited understanding, the Holy Spirit convicted and and caused him to act, right? But too many of us have been saved for so long that we don't know what it means for the Holy Spirit to lead us to action. I have seen my wife act in the Holy Spirit more in the last week then this is not a bash to her, but then so much of our marriage, and far more than I have. I mean, she's got some, what it takes, you know? She's a whole lot braver than me, and she's been a huge example to me. But when, here's the point. When we actually start to take this literally, And know that Christianity is not a religion because religion says, just like most of the world religions out there, religion says, sorry Tim, I'm taking up so much time. But religion says, you do what we we tell you to do, okay, and then you'll get your way into heaven. No, Christianity is not a religion. It says, Jesus died for you. There is nothing you can do to get into heaven. Jesus died for you. It's a free gift. You receive that gift, and then the proof of it is that your life changes. Imagine what could happen with this church if we really believed that. Because the way that Jesus teaches in the Bible, I mean, he says something, and then he says, if you have ears to hear, hear. What he's saying is <laughs> my word is powerful. But if it's really going to have power lived out on this planet, you have to take it to heart. You have to live it out. Okay? We made a decision this past week that's been crazy but nuts. We decided, you know what? Nothing that we own is ours. Nothing that we have is ours. And so God, like I've always been like, since we moved into our neighborhood, like kids of the neighborhood, you can come into our yard anytime. It's open. We want you here. You can play here. But to come into my house, just like, just come in uninvited. Like I could be going to the bathroom and forgot to lock the door or something. This is, this is crisis. You could not do that, right? Or you break some of my stuff. And so I was like, weary of that but we made a decision this past week that no we're not going to hold on to our stuff like this anymore we're going to hold on to it all like this because we know it doesn't belong to us and so the day that we made the decision hey we're going to have an open home like don't go back to your house to go to the bathroom you can go to the bathroom in our house if you need dinner you can eat dinner here if you need to go to the bathroom you can go here if you want to play somewhere you go here if you need to get warm you can come here if you need to just if you need if you need if you need in the past week there've been more kids in my house than ever before and i have not even thought twice about my stuff god has totally just begun to shape and change our perspective on on our stuff. Like, I don't care if they break my stuff because I care more about their hearts, right? When you change from having a perspective of earthly desires to having an eternal perspective, it just changes the things that you are able to do for the kingdom of God. That's just true. And so, we're going to take time to take communion. And the bread and the juice is Jesus' body broken for us. And the juice 
His, his blood poured out for us. They're symbols of these things. But do not do this lightly. We are all about grace, that when we mess up, grace allows us to get up and go again. But the most effective way to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ is to not hold on to earthly things like this, but hold them like this. Nothing that I own is mine. It's Jesus's. It's God's. And so how am I going to live my life in every moment because I don't want to live the first three quarters of my life so that I have a good last quarter of my life. I want to live my entire life so that when I get to heaven, I hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, and I have a reward to give back to him. But it all starts here. And so we're just going to sing until it looks like everyone has taken communion. And then Tim's going to pray to end our service. But it can't end with having heard a message. We've got to act upon this. So let me pray for us. God, um, we just want to act in the power of your spirit to see the lives around us changed. We don't want to be cowards. We want to live in the spirit that you have given us, a power of love and a sound mind and have an eternal perspective. We don't want to hold on to earthly things preparing for the end of life. We want to prepare in this life to be with you for eternity and bring as many people with us as possible. In the power of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you guys are finishing taking communion, I'm actually going to call an audible on football Sunday here. Uh, And we're going to go back to that song we learned, This I Believe. And it's actually, the title of it is called This I Believe, The Creed. Um, And so we go back to just Micaiah even this week, declaring his belief in God. This is our creed, uh, proclaiming that we believe in God, Jesus, a resurrection, the Holy Spirit, this is our creed. And so as we go out of here, as we finish taking communion, um, we're going to forego these uh, last couple songs and sing this song again uh, as we head out of here this week.